We are a people of the kingdom of God. Very important that you understand that we're not saying we are the people of the kingdom of God. We are a people. We represent a broader group of people of the kingdom of God who partner with the Holy Spirit, experience and worship God, reconcile people with God, with one another and all of creation. We engage in compassionate ministry and we pursue culturally relevant mission in the world. Now, the importance of our core core values are really twofold. One, our values really do establish our identity. We we have a shared history with uh, a movement that began in the 70s that share these values so that we're we're connected with that stream of the faith. Uh, We are part of a movement that is bigger than ourselves. I, so you, so, so you know that I went to Chile. So I, I visited La Vina in Chile. Well, the values we have are the values they have. We are connected to something that is bigger than ourselves. Our values also guide us in our growth, in our ministries, and our multiplication. So uh, we, we just we want you to know that we're growing a vineyard church and we're really grateful to be growing a vineyard church. That doesn't mean we're the best church in town. We're just growing a vineyard church. We have these values. God bless what's happening in other congregations around the city, other movements. God bless them. But this is who we are. And these are the values that we embrace. Our, our core values also guide us in really selecting the ministries that uh, we do. We would love to do everything, but obviously we can't do everything. So we do the things that match up with the values that helps us discern where we are to serve uh, in our ministries. And then finally, we are committed to multiplying. So our community locally and globally will multiply into other vineyard churches. And these core values are instilled in each one of those multiplications. With being a reconciling community, our core value is this. Jesus is reconciling humans to God, to each other, and to the entire creation. Breaking down division between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Therefore, we are committed to becoming healing communities, engaged in the work of reconciliation wherever sin and evil hold sway. We seek to be diverse communities of hope that realize the power of the cross to reconcile what has been separated by sin. That's a statement from Vineyard USA. So our our home base uh, movement has a statement of our values. That's the statement of the value on that page. So you can go there if you want to read that again. Or the other values that we've been talking about, encouraging our community, and you can go there and read those. I want to tell you my story of reconciliation just because, again, it's, it's very evident to me as I review my story that God, the DNA of the vineyard somehow matched my DNA. So God, and really with Susan, we, he moved us into the vineyard. So I lived in Amarillo. I grew up in Amarillo. <clears throat> and in 1968, I had an experience in the northern part of Amarillo, which is where Paladura High School resided. Now, look up there on that slide. You may not be able to see it. The detail may not 
be very good, especially on this one. But I was destined for Tascosa High School, and we were in the Paladura High School area when this event is. I'm going to tell you about it. But anybody notice anything about, like, does that slide of that Paladura football team, 1968, tell you anything about that high school? You can say it out loud. Huh? Diverse? That high school? Look again. Come up here and come up here and look a little closer. You can't see, can you? It's all African American. Paladura High School was the black high school in Amarillo. The northern part of Amarillo is, was that's where African Americans lived. And then if you go to the southeast of Amarillo, that was Caprock. That's where all the Hispanic people lived. And then if you move more to the central and to the west, Amarillo High School, Tascosa, they were white. The slogan, when I was in high school, we're all right, because we're all white. Amazing. So when I was in ninth grade, the football team that I was on went to the northern part, Paldera High School territory, all black, and we played a very, very close game. And somehow, we prevailed. We won that game. And we got on the bus, and we were surrounded by the African-American community and they were really upset that we won and it was really unnerving to sit there a bus of all white boys surrounded by a sea of black faces and then all of a sudden rocks started being thrown at the windows of our bus and at that point my coach jumped up and said get the blank out of here it was a really tense moment so for those of us that you know have lived in segregated communities. Did you notice where I went to high school at Tesco? Did you notice who our, like our little mascot was? <clears throat> the Rebels. And we had the Confederate flag, and our mascot was General Rev. And when we integrated Amarillo, I remember one black guy came to high school. That's it. So I, I, I've seen this wall of division between black and white. I experienced that growing up. And then I came to faith in 1970. I'm so grateful that Tom Wilson agreed to be the part-time Young Life director in Amarillo. And so for the first time in my life at age 17, someone told me the story of Jesus. I had not heard the story of Jesus. I knew who Jesus was by a portrait I knew who Jesus was from Christmas, kind of. But I, my family did not attend church. I was not, I did not, no one read me the gospel. I, didn't, I did not know that story until I was 17. And in a summer Young Life Club, when the, when the invitation was given, would you like to trust Jesus? Would you like to follow Jesus? I said, yes, I sure would. And so I began to follow Jesus the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. That summer, I, uh, I was working at Boy Scout Camp, Camp Don Harrington. For those of you that have gone to Paldera Canyon, this is a little branch of Paldera Canyon, great place for a, a scout camp. I was a brand-new Christian. There were a couple of guys on the summer staff that were brand-new Christians. We all just, it was just this great. I don't remember if you remember your beginning days with Christ, but it's really fun. That's all you wanted to talk about. And you, you were reading the Bible. It's all new. Never read the Bible. 
I was reading the New Testament. I was not reading. I just got the New Testament. I didn't get the Old Testament. And I was mainly reading John or a gospel. And we'd just talk about stuff. And for whatever reason, that scout camp that summer invited two groups to come and enjoy the scout camp. I was a swimming instructor. And so these new groups showed up at the swimming pool because we had to do swim tests and place them in, you know, learning to swim, kind of beginning swimmers, and then other advanced swimming things. Well, one group was a, was a mentally challenged group of kids. They were the sweetest people, and they were couch potatoes. I mean, they were not very active people. And so when they did a swim test, they jumped in the water, and they was like marshmallows. I mean, they were just so, bo- I mean, like, it was incredible. And they really couldn't swim, but they could float. You know, so you didn't really know, okay, what are we going to do? How do you do this? The other group was from Big Brothers, and it was a group of of black kids from that part of Amarillo that was still segregated. And they were the wiriest. They just were wiry, lean little guys. And we'd ask, you'd always ask, so do y'all know how to swim? Oh, yeah, we know how to swim. <laughs> I said, well, we're going, we're going to test that. Yeah, I mean, they were just so great. I mean, they were strutting their stuff. They could swim. So we had these cane poles in case anybody got in trouble because we did swim tests in the deep end. And so, okay, so we'll jump in and let's, let's see how you can swim. And they would jump in, and on one side of the pool, the kids that were buoyant were over there buoying up and down, and these kids would sink like a rock to the bottom. <laughs> and they would come up out of the water, help me, help me, I'm drowning! And you'd stick in the cane pole and you get three kids. I mean, it was like hilarious. So I guess we need to start with swimming lessons. Well, somehow I was drawn. I was drawn to this young black kid. I'd never, I don't, again, I have no explanation why. But for some reason, having to come, I came to know Jesus. And somehow I was drawn to this child that was separated from me by income and by race. And what I don't know. Other than to say it's Jesus in us that begins to move us towards reconciliation. Whether we, you know, whether we recognize it or not. So I'd check on this kid. I'd go make sure he's tucked in at night. I mean, I was just drawn to being this kid's friend. And actually, that next year I visited him in his neighborhood. As a new Christian. As a new friend. And then the next summer. I didn't work at scout camp. I worked at the zinc smelter. That's, that's another story. Why in the world I would go on a word. That was, that's crazy. But I worked in a, where they created these pots for the zinc. And I made another friend that summer. Just happened to be a black friend. We went fishing. Again, I was crossing over these lines. But why? I mean, what? I don't, again... Personally, I think it's because when we come to faith in Jesus and we're reconciled with God, there's a mechanism with that same message that moves us to be reconciled with other people. These were people I was separated from. And I began to be moved in reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, for all. All, all 
human beings. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again, living for the cause of Jesus moves you to reconcile with other people because you realize Jesus loves them and paid the same amount for them as you. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not so long any longer. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, if anyone trusts Jesus, if anyone begins to follow Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The old creation is gone. The new is here. That's an incredible statement. Kainos is the Greek word for new. It means new in nature. If anyone is in Christ, he and she are new in nature. New. Especially new in kind. Able and ordained as such to replace and excel the old. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are not the same. We are changed into something better than what we were. New creation is the glorious end of God's salvation. My salvation at 17 was not an end in itself. As wonderful as it is to come to faith in Jesus to be forgiven of sin, to be reconciled with God, that's not an end in itself. That is the means to the end. And the end is that God is creating a whole new place. And he starts with you and me. It's the supreme goal of early Christian hope. It's reflected from the future salvation in the present existence of Christians on the old earth. Because it's become present salvation in Christ, the new eon, which is dawned with Christ, begins a new creation. If you fast forward, God says, I am making everything new, everything new. Sometimes we interpret that, oh, well, that's later. No, it's not later. He'll finish it later, but it begins now. That new creation begins now. The moment you and I trusted Jesus, new creation visited the earth. The creation of a new people. To be a Christian is to be made new, to become a new person. And you could say a new and better person reconciled to God and reconciled to others. We represent every tongue, every tribe, every nation. One day we'll bow before the throne. That begins now. It's not just later. 
2 Corinthians 5, Paul continues, and all of this, all of this is from God. This isn't something we came up with on our own, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, when I came to faith in Jesus, little did I know that what came with that salvation was also the gift of the ministry of reconciliation. He moved me to begin to reconcile with people different than myself. That was his gift to me. It was his gift to you. And that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The only people on the earth that are given this message of reconciliation from God are people that came to faith in Jesus. That's our message. A message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Whoa, what? As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation in the New Testament conveys the thought of change. Everything's new. Everything's new. God is changing the world through you and me who are following Jesus. There is a change, not merely in the disposition of the person or their legal relationship with God. So we didn't just like suddenly become sweeter. I love Jesus. I love you. I love Jesus. I love you. We didn't just come sweet. And our disposition. And then those of us that are more theologically astute, we're just not about this new legal relationship of God. I mean, law, you know, Otto can tell us about law later. It's, we're talking about a change that is a total change in the state of our life. We're not talking about minimal change. We're talking about maximum change. We are not the same when we start following Jesus. Through the revelation of the superabounding love of God, which did not find the sacrifice of the Son too great, and which does not regard it as too humiliating to plead with men, we are renewed in the total state of our life. We are visited by the love of God, and thus we are awakened to love. A love that crosses all boundaries. Because God so loved everybody on the planet. So a reconciling community is a community that's visited by the love of God awakened to the love of God, changed by the love of God, expressing the love of God to one another and to other human beings. A reconciling community is changed by the love of God, not just in sentiment or standing with God, but in their total state of living, not for themselves, but for others. 
A reconciling community is the creation of a new people on the old earth. New in nature, better than the old, the new, able and ordained to replace and exceed the old. We're not the same as what we used to be. We can't get, we're not a people that can get away with, oh, that's just the way I am. Really? Because if it's not the way Jesus is, well, that's not the way you are. We're being changed, changed, changed. Wow. A reconciling community is gifted by God with the ministry of reconciliation. Change for the better. We're not waiting for the better to be later. I'm waiting for the fulfillment of the better later. But I recognize that because in Christ we are that new creation, change for the better begins every day when I choose to go down that path. We're committed to the message of reconciliation, a change for the better. We're people that don't, we don't just look back. We especially don't look back and, well, man, I wish it was that day back there. No, that's not how this thing works. Back there is a foundation that moves us towards something better, that moves us towards something better and better and better until the finale. And we serve as ambassadors for our king. Now, to be an ambassador means that you and I represent a different kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. I doubt if any of us are going to be an ambassador of the United States. I mean, I'm sorry. If that's what your aspiration is, I need to know that because then I would encourage you that way. And that, that wouldn't be a bad thing for somebody to be an ambassador of the United States as long as they know Jesus. I, I would put that on that. But hey, in Christ, each of we're ambassadors of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. You're a diplomat. That's incredible. That is incredible. So we are people called into the ministry of reconciliation, gifted with that ministry, that message for the sake of people around us. I came to faith in Jesus. I trusted Jesus. I started to follow Jesus because someone told me the story. The Holy Spirit began to work on me. And I said, yes. And the very first thing that I could, I could actually like say happened is that I began in the ministry of reconciliation. Because I didn't know any better. But the Spirit did. And it didn't stop there. In 1999, our family went on a walk into the Middle East. It's called the Reconciliation Walk. People that had shared Jesus around the Mediterranean and around North Africa reported. They'd come back and they'd say, you know, we shared the story of Jesus. We asked people to believe and they said, no, thanks. We said, well, why not? Why not? So, well... Your grandfather slaughtered my father 
So therefore, I don't really want anything to do with Christianity. Now that's a perspective that most of us, we just don't get that. But I found this quote from Christianity Today in 1999. The reconciliation walk experience confirmed that the majority of Middle Easterners still view Western Christians and Westerners in general as crusaders, seeking to dominate the Middle East politically, militarily, economically, and religiously. But it also showed nobles, that's my sister, Kathy Nobles, quoted in Christianity Today. Get out of here. God knocks down these dividing walls of hatred and prejudice. When we see ourselves as being the message of the cross, that is the message of reconciliation. See, we can make the message of the cross judgment if we want. God so condemned the world. Not what it is. Through the cross... Jesus tore down every dividing wall. We can humble ourselves. And we can ask for nothing but forgiveness. That's what the reconciliation walk did. They just walked with a message of apology. We're so sorry that others represented Jesus with a sword. We're so sorry that people were killed in the name of Jesus. We're so sorry. That's so far from the message of Jesus that we read in the Bible. The result of that is, well, then, who is Jesus if he's not that? My friends, reconciliation means a belief in change for the better. Our friends in Houston will be reconciled to creation as their homes are improved. That's, that's reconciliation. When we go and help, that's part of a ministry of reconciliation. I think all of us are well aware. I mean, from my history, I, I hope you understand, I'm tremendously grieved by those in our nation that would represent what a friend, a, a Christian friend of me said, here in New Braunfels, Black people just don't have the same soul as white people. Excuse me? Excuse me? Show me that in the Bible. Would you, would you show me that in the Bible? Show me that in the ministry of Jesus. Show me that Jesus didn't treat everyone with the same respect and dignity. Whether they were a Jew or a Gentile or a man or a woman or they were rich or they were poor. I'm, I'm tremendously grieved that there's an element that we re, would remain so filled with hate. Then I'm grieved because my friend that said that to me, there are churches that embrace that as if that is the gospel of Jesus. That's not the gospel of Jesus. So reconciliation can work its way out racially. 
flood, race. When we traveled the roads in the Middle East, we, 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 we found out that the message of reconciliation crosses the boundary lines between the Israeli and the Palestinian. Incredible work of God. If you keep up with what God's doing throughout the Arab world, the Muslim world, the gospel of reconciliation is crossing those dividing lines. And people, Jesus is showing up with Muslims. So I don't want you to follow me. What? You see, God's message of reconciliation cannot be stopped. God's going to do it. If we don't do it, he's going to do it. Then it comes down to even family. We get sideways. Susan and I have been sideways in marriage. I had to change. <laughs> Folks, if you're, you know, if you're butting heads in marriage, somebody's got to change. Reconciliation does not happen without change. Then I did. I mean, I, I'm serious. I, ha- I had to change. And I'm so grateful that it happened. Parents, children, that reconciliation, it's got got, got to be change. Somebody's got to change. Maybe it's all, all of us have to change. But please hear this. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit begins to work upon us for change, He is attempting to change us into something better. It's always better. It's better. And why in the world do we resist the better? Except that we get really comfortable. And I, you know, I hope that all of this faith that Jesus has given us, he didn't give us something to make us comfortable. There is comfort. There is a comforter. But the faith we hold is not meant to make us comfortable. It's meant to change us from glory to glory. Incredible. And to share that change with the people around us. So that at the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be changed for the better forever. But we get to begin to participate in that now. Would you like to stand with me? Jesus, I would like just to start in a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you that you've invited us to follow you. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to trust you, to believe in you, to profess faith in you, to begin a new life in you. And thank you for that. That incredible. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, is going, and the new is coming. Thank you that we're a community in that process individually and corporately. And thank you that you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, introducing change for the better 
to our family, to our friends, to our city, to our state, to our nation and the nations of the world. Thank you that you are making everything new and that you're inviting us to participate with you in that renewal of everything. Lord, I think that I know and I acknowledge that change is difficult. Reconciliation is hard work. And I know that you're at work in our community. So what I I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is to help any of us this morning that are stuck. If you're stuck just holding on to the old you, I just, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. Whether that has to do with faith, whether that has to do with race, whether that has to do with marriage, whether that has to do with family, whether it has to do with work, just the resistance of change is the refusal to embrace this ministry of reconciliation that he has given to us. So I want to invite any of you that just have that sense, I'm stuck and I I want to move beyond this moment. I, I want I want change to happen. We've been given this incredible prayer mat from Rwanda. So that's just a great place to direct people for ministry time. And what ministry time is, it's just simply us inviting the Holy Spirit to help us. And so if you can relate to, I'm stuck, but I want to move forward. Would you just kind of move now towards that mat? And then we'll make sure that we have people come and surround you and pray with you and see what the Holy Spirit does.